Wondering what to do first when your child is diagnosed with autism? Are you overwhelmed or feeling like a failure as a parent of a child with autism? On this episode of Brainy Moms, Terry and I interview the founder of Autism Parent Solutions, Andrea Pollock. Andrea shares that parents of children on the autism spectrum need help with their own mindset and perspective before they can confidently judge intervention options. Andrea shares some tips and tools from her parenting program that give listeners a start on creating a mindset that will help them be less overwhelmed and frustrated as they navigate parenting a child on the spectrum. If you're an autism parent, this episode is for you. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Brainy Moms, brought to you today by Learning RX Brain Training Centers. I am Dr. Amy Moore, your host, here with my co-host, Terry Miller, coming to you today from Colorado Springs, Colorado. We're excited to welcome our guest today, the founder of Autism Parent Solutions, Andrea Pollock. Andrea is a former lawyer who left that career to homeschool her, her autistic son for eight years. And when her son returned to school, Andrea wanted to share her knowledge and experience with other parents. So she went back to school earning a master's degree in education, and she started Autism Parent Solutions to provide parents with a comprehensive program of education and coaching to build the skills and confidence they need to help their children with autism reach their highest potential. So glad you're here, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is Autism Awareness Month, and that is super important to me. I am in the trenches with a little one, my youngest, that is struggling with autism behaviors. So I really, really wanted to get this information out to our listeners, and especially this month when a lot of people are using autism awareness to seek help and to get more information. So Andrea, I love that you're with us. I'm so grateful. And I want you to tell our listeners more about your story So yeah, I was practicing law in New York City. I'd been doing it for 19 years and I had a child with autism and we had a difficult time finding a school in which he could thrive. We actually helped to start a school with other parents and it was great for other children. It just didn't work for him. And I decided he only gets one mom. There are a lot of lawyers out there. I was going to homeschool him and I had no idea what I was doing. No, not a clue. I thought, but if we lay in bed and tickle each other all day, I think that's going to be better than what's going on because school was causing him to be so distressed all the time. And I started from scratch. I did do some, you know, a lot of programs and educated myself as best I could. You know, it was a long time ago now. He's now 23. So um, there wasn't quite as much out there at the time. Uh, and I did a lot of experimenting and a lot of learning and um, we did it for eight years. And at the end of eight years, he was ready to go back to school. He was ready to be more social. He was less sensitive to his environment. He had built up some tolerance uh, and he was ready to get on with it. So he started back to school in the eighth grade. That's amazing. I mean, just that you were able to offer him that time so that he could become settled. He could become confident. He would have that consistency of routine so that he was, he was able to then develop into the maturity where he could handle. I mean, that's just, oh, that's the perfect success story. That's so good. Well, part of what I realized was that the whole world was just too much for him and he was closing himself off. So to try to get him to relate and connect 
in an environment that was just too overwhelming, we were working against ourselves. So I needed to bring him into a, an environment that could tune all of that out and build it up slowly for him. Yeah. So then you found yourself at a, a fork in the road, right? Like he's back in school and then you had to decide, okay, am I going back to work as an attorney or what am I going to do now? Exactly. And I I knew how hard I had worked. I mean, I approached uh, this homeschooling situation and learning about autism like a Wall Street lawyer. I mean, I was in it to win it and it was... <laughs> I was all in. And I thought, what a waste that each of us is at home learning like this and doing these things. And then we keep it with us and we don't uh, share it out in the world. And I thought I learned too much and I made too many mistakes from which other people could learn uh, to keep it to myself. So I knew I had to go in that direction. Okay. So then what did you do? So I went back to grad school, got a master's in education because I knew I, I mean, I knew I knew a lot, but I wanted to be able to share it most effectively, become, you know, a better educator, um, learn more about educating adults. And uh, so I, I did that and I created the program and uh, here we are. you are. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So you say that um, parents of children who um, have autism are... Um, frequently suffering with feelings of failure, they're overwhelmed, they're uncertain about what they're doing. Why Why do they struggle like that? Um, there are a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is that traditional parenting tools, um, ones that we grew up learning, you know, ones that we grew up, um, you know, as children experiencing, uh, they work the least well for our children. So that's yes. part of it, right? Then there's all the judgment out there um, that, you know, there, it, it strikes a chord in us that says, you know, first of all, we get defensive, like, no, that's not fair. I'm working so hard. And then it's like, wait, maybe I am. Maybe I'm not good enough, right? So there's that piece. And then also, a lot of times, the, um, the support and education that is offered is from the perspective of a therapist. And the therapist is telling you how to do what the therapist does. And parenting is different. Um, one of the things that, inter- that is interesting is I have a number of special education teachers in my program who are also parents of children. And they say, I crush it at school and it's a disaster at home. And I don't understand why. And that's part of it. Yeah. Well, and you also say that education is the same way. Right. Same like, so, so most of the interventions are from the perspective of the therapist, but you also say that education is not geared towards the parent either. It's geared towards the child. Exactly. And autism behaviors, right? Right. That's what I meant, right? The education that's provided to parents is, you know, geared toward the child's education, right? And not toward the child's daily living. I mean, there's some, there are some, you know, they focus on daily living skills as a topic, but it's from an educator's perspective. And it doesn't take into account the deeply emotional experience of being a parent, which impacts everything. It does. It does. And it's so that emotional experience so impacts our child, which then further impacts their behaviors, which it just creates this, this spiral, which you talk about. I want to mention two things real quickly before we get too far in Um, for listeners that are, that are struggling with a child with autism and cannot homeschool, do not homeschool. uh, Please don't tune out. 
please don't turn this off right now and think this is um, a homeschooling your autistic child perspective. It is not at all. Um, so I am not able to homeschool my child with autism behaviors. It does not work for our relationship. Um, and it's, it is not helpful or effective. It is contraindicated for her improvement. And so please listeners don't think that that's, we're saying that's something that you should do. No. Yeah, can I, can I comment on that one second? Yeah, please. Yes, 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 yes. I learned what I learned in the context of doing that, but that's not at all what I teach parents about Yes, at all. Yeah. It's about parenting because children spent the vast majority, the vast percentage of their time with parents more so than in school or anywhere else. And yeah. parents need parenting tools for all of those times. Yes. And that's what you offer a free webinar on your website. We'll get into that later, but I gleaned so much information and that's what you're going to share so much here with our listeners. And it's all about from the parenting perspective. So yes, re-raw, go ahead. <laughs> listeners don't tune out or think this isn't for you. Um, yeah. Stay with us. Right. So talking about parents from the parent perspective. Right. So let's. You talk a lot about mindset, yes. right? So share with us why that's so important. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you for asking that. Because here's what we know. We know that there are certain strategies that are recommended, right? And if it were just as simple as do that, we would all do it and it would be easy, right? But often there are mindset issues that get in the way of doing those things in a way that's beneficial. So for example, if you think your child is engaging in a certain behavior on purpose and it triggers you, it, it, it creates an emotional experience for you. You feel anger, you feel frustration, you feel fear of the future because you can't get this under control. And then you behave from that place um, with your child and it doesn't necessarily benefit either of you. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to have that perspective when you're in the middle of it, right? It's hard to see that you are engaging all of these emotions when you're applying your tools. So helping parents to see those things, helping parents make a choice. This is also about helping them be the parent they want to be. I don't believe there's one right way to parent. It's about bringing awareness to the parent of the choices they're making, the feelings they're feeling. I want them to feel their feelings for sure. This is not about not feeling the feelings. Um, it's about choosing how to react based on those feelings. Okay. You said um, our brains are designed to mirror emotions, which is why it feels so upsetting when our children struggle. If we can stay calm and assured, our children can mirror our emotions. And we've heard this um, from other people we've interviewed about um, parenting and other struggles. And I love this. Talk to us a little bit more about the concept of mirroring neurons, what you're talking about, and that um, co-regulation of emotions. How can I do that as a parent from the get-go before ever anything starts, before that tantrum erupts? How can I be prepared? That is a great question. And the best way to address tantrums is to prevent them, right? Yeah. Um, or meltdowns. And so in, in the program I have, I teach these six strategies. And the first one, the place where we start is model and teach self-regulation. It's ex because it's the foundation of everything. And I offer parents two tools to help them immediately. So we get started day one. And the first is to realize that your child 
most of the time is not choosing this behavior. They are dysregulated and they are behaving from a place of dysregulation or they have an inability to meet your expectations and it's causing, um, you know, it's causing them to behave in a way that's undesirable to you. When you believe that they're not choosing it, right, that it's some um, lack of skill that they're experiencing or some dysregulation, it helps you maintain a different kind of compassion in the moment, right? Um, so we start there. And, you know, we do a deep dive into that and all of the reasons because parents are resistant initially because it does feel so personal and it's so triggering. So it takes parents some time um, to enable that to seep in. But that's tool number one is really knowing that they're not doing it on purpose. They're not doing it to you, right? They would do better if they could. That's a, you know, Dr. Ross Green um, statement. Explosive child. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. I, um, we talk about that frequently. So, yeah. Yeah. And I want to stop you before you tell us our sec- the second tool. Okay. Um, that that is actually something that's applicable to teachers as well, right? So teachers are triggered by inappropriate behaviors in the classroom. Um, and when when they can learn to understand that that is not directed towards them, that is a child communicating a need that is not being met in some way, uh-huh. right? And then to be able to engage empathy in that situation, whether you're a parent or a teacher, is so much easier when you know this is not a personal affront to me. This is this child seeking connection or has a need that that isn't being filled right now or doesn't have the skill to communicate effectively what, right. their, what their need is. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. In my um, experience as a mom with what what we've been struggling with. I mean, it's so, I love that you say that's the number one tool because I am convinced that is the number one thing that turned, that turned around uh, the atmosphere of our home, my child's behavior, everything, because I spent, my daughter's also adopted. And so there are some attachment problems and there's a lot of struggles. And so I spent a good long time feeling like she is so mean to me because I am, I'm the primary attachment. So I was the primary receiver. I was safe primary receiver of her tantrums. Um, you know, they were, they were kind of directed at me, but I really felt it. She's yeah. being mean to me. And when I changed that perspective, when I learned her brain doesn't work the same way, this is, these are behaviors she can't control. Exactly. It changed everything. Right. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk a little bit because I've had other parents say, um, well, what's the difference between emotional regulation and just stuffing? I've had them say, well, I've tried to stuff those feelings of frustration. What's the difference? Yeah. Okay, parents? great. That's a great question. Sure. Feeling your feelings doesn't mean you have to act on them in the moment. You can have those feelings and say, okay, I have those feelings. I can feel them. I can put them to one side for a moment because my child needs me right now to behave in a different way. And that's tool number two, actually, that we were talking about. And I sort of weave them together. Perfect. (laughs) Realizing that that triggered reaction, that anger, that frustration, it's just a habit, right? Because the first reaction people give me is, I can't help it. I just, I just get that way. I say, I totally appreciate that you believe that, but we can practice learning to recognize the signs as they, as they arise saying, hold on, red flag. I see you. 
And I'm going to make a different choice right now because that's going to be better for my child and eventually also better for me, right? We know this doesn't go to a good place. So I get more of what I want by making a choice in the moment to um, control my expression of my feelings, but I'm going to feel all the feelings. And sometimes, you know, you can journal later, you can call up a friend and let it all out. You know, we also are under the um, mistaken belief sometimes that like letting it all out, you know, erupting is somehow therapeutic. And that's not always true. It ca can cause a lot of damage too. So the, the general point is feeling the feelings and acting on them don't have to be connected. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting yeah. that you teach parents that because as as parents, we expect our children to learn appropriate responses, you know, despite their feelings, right? But you we're can be not mad, but it. you can't be mean, right? <laughs> and especially with children on the spectrum, we know that they basically have to memorize an appropriate response, right? It's not instinctual to make eye contact, for example, but they can learn that they can because that's the socially acceptable behavior when someone is speaking to you, right? So how can we as parents expect our child, especially a child with some, you know, neuropathology, mm -hmm. you know, to learn appropriate behaviors, but we're not willing to learn to respond differently as well in the face yep. of our emotions. Oh my right. goodness. Yeah. Cause we're putting a, I think as parents, we're putting this, this judgment on, well, she threw a tantrum about a little thing. I just asked her to put her fork in the sink. Well, I'm throwing a tantrum because she threw, no, it's not, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> there's not, yeah, there's, we can't wait it. It's yeah. For me, it was learning the difference between gritting my teeth and learning how to breathe, learning how to truly calm my limbic system. I didn't have to grit my teeth and stuff my feelings. I had to breathe. I had to recognize she's not doing this to me, like you talked about. And that has made a huge difference. That that co-regulation, that letting her mirror my calmness instead of me mirroring her meltdown. Big difference. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting, this topic in general, because all of the things that I teach parents about interacting with their kids, at the end, we bring it full circle to say, actually it all applies to you as well, right? <laughs> One of the other things we talk about is building skills step-by-step, step, right? Instead of setting an expectation that's way too high for a child to meet because, for example, say they should be doing it because they're that age, right? right. Um, that just leads to meltdown. Well, when you set an expectation for yourself to be perfect and you're not, guess what? Leads to meltdown. So it's about building your own skills step-by-step, step, right? We, you know, we teach about, we teach parents, how to be more flexible with their children because our children are so inflexible and we tend to meet that with a certain inflexibility, right? Because part of it is we're just trying to create order out of the chaos. So we bring a lot of rigidity to it and we bring that to a rigid child and guess where that goes? Right. Yeah. Downhill no fast. Down. Yeah. Downhill <laughs> no fast. <good>. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. And so I think I love that you mentioned expectations because you know, as parents um, who have a neurodiverse child, we have to manage our expectations, right? So if our expectations aren't realistic, then that just sets us up for disappointment as well. Actually, yeah. what I, I teach a slightly different, um, you know, bent on that, which is it's not about reducing expectations for the long run. It's about reducing them for now, 
so we can build them properly and get to that place where you want to go. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. You know, again, you're right that a lot of times we don't know where the child is going to get to, but what we do know is they're not going to get there by skipping all the steps, right? You don't go into a gym and say, I want to lift 150 pounds. So let's start at a hundred. Like you just don't, yeah. right? But it doesn't mean you won't get there, but it means you have to start with the tens and then go to 20, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So So your expectations need to be developmentally appropriate then for your child. Right. Not for their age, not for anything else. But but I'm careful to not to say to parents, lower your expectations or keep them in check. It's more about keep them appropriate for now and focus on now and little steps can add up to really big gains. Yeah. Great advice. That's really that's so good. Yeah. For the parent, not just our expectations for our child, but expectations for self. Like if, if I can just have one less meltdown reaction to her meltdowns one today, you know, the the little steps, like you said, let's go to the gym and lift 10 pounds, just 10 for a while. That's, that is so encouraging. Thank you. Well, it's also that, you know, that feeling of success Mm -hmm. breeds success. So it's, you know, in addition to the fact that it's logical to just build that way, it also builds self-esteem in the child when they feel successful. It increases their motivation to continue to grow because they believe in themselves. It's a, it's a whole, um, you know, recipe of, of, of going in the right direction, let's say. Yeah. So you talk about traditional parenting strategies don't work. And you, do, you mentioned that briefly. Tell us more about that. What are we doing that's, you know, traditional parenting that's not working and how could we do different? Um, well, punishment and rewards are a big one in the autism universe. And I'm not saying that they don't ever work for little things and you can't use them appropriately from time to time, but punishing your child doesn't teach them the lesson or the skill that they need to do better next time. It just teaches them that they did something wrong. And it, te- and, it, and it enhances their dysregulation in the moment, which actually impedes their ability to learn the, the lesson in the moment. Um, you know, think about um, even in school, for example, right? Kids who have um, frustration tolerance issues or impulsivity issues, those are the ones who get the most consequences, but you need impulse control for the consequence to prevent you from doing the behavior, right? It, it makes no sense. It doesn't work. Um, exactly. Um, it, it leads back to the perspective of there's a missing skill or, you know, just some sort of missing lesson that the child needs to learn. Um, so it feeds back into the first, uh, uh, self-regulation issue. Um, so yeah, so punishment is a big one, even rewards. Sometimes you dangle a reward in front of a child and they want that reward so badly, but if they can't do the thing, the reward's not going to help them. I give parents the example of, I can't play piano. I just can't. You could put me in front of a piano and offer me a million dollars by the end of the day, I could play a particular thing. Well, I would really want that million dollars, but at the end of the day, I would not be able to play piano. You could yell at me. You could incentivize me. You could do all the things. Um, It it doesn't get me there. Yeah. So those are, those are big ones. That's such a good example. It is. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah. Right. And then, then imagine the disappointment, right? If you were a child being teased with a reward that you could not reach because you don't have the skills yet. Right. Right. And then to feel just crushed, 
mm-hmm. right? That that you weren't able to earn something that you so desperately wanted, not right. because you didn't try, but because you haven't learned those skills yet or you don't have the, that ability yet. Exactly. Yeah. Right. This so isn't one. Of, of, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Well, go ahead. Um, well, I was just thinking in terms of traditional, you know, parenting. Um, you know, this whole idea of somehow we're going to like punish the autism out of them Ugh. is something that, you know, once I bring it to parents, parents' attention, I say it that way, they're like, oh, exactly. Right. They're like, I didn't think of it that way. So it's, it's not about that. So anyway, I mean, continue. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think discovering what's going on is a big piece of the puzzle. Um, I love the concept or the group or the support or whatever of autism awareness, because I didn't know that's what was going on for years. And I did so many things wrong and I have so much grief and regret. And I just have to hope that my daughter is resilient and she can recover from the ways that I did things so badly. I did try to, I tried to consequence the autism behaviors out of her because I didn't know it. I thought I was being a good parent with consequences and rewards. Um, You know, I was reading all the books. I was being gentle, trying to calm my emotions, but I was still doing a lot of consequences and rewards. So understanding autism awareness is so helpful because our kids may have behavior problems that we don't know are actually autism behaviors, they are on the spectrum. How can parents, maybe there's somebody listening to this that doesn't even, they just are listening and they just, you know, their kids have struggles. How can parents become more aware and learn, maybe get a diagnosis or understand autism in their child? I, I, the, the word that leaps to mind actually, when you're asking me that is curiosity, okay. right? It's not as much to me about getting the diagnosis or understanding how that diagnosis relates to the specific behavior. To me, it's about becoming really curious about why your child is doing what they're doing, right? So instead of coming at it from a, I have to fix this perspective, it's coming at it from a, let me understand this so that I can help them in a way that actually helps them. That I don't know if that answers your question, but to me, that was the concept that leapt to my mind because... Again, getting the diagnosis is very helpful and it can lead you to resources and those are helpful too, but you don't want to be blinded by the resources that are out there or the things that somebody's telling you to do. Having that genuine curiosity yourself is another really important piece of it for a parent. That's so big. Try to dig into the why. Why is my child behaving this way? Why is my child consistently reacting this way instead of what am I going to do to control it? What am I going to do to stop this problem? Yes. And why, and what, why is it happening? Um, giving them the benefit of the doubt, going back to point number one, right? They're not doing it on purpose. Ugh. So what is it? So And how can I help them? Not how can I punish them to make it stop? How can I help them to make it better? Yeah. It seems um, to me that having this mindset at the very beginning, like when you first find out um, that your child is on the spectrum, adopting this mindset, getting this type of coaching, 
should be the first step. Before you start looking at what resources you're going to use, what interventions might be helpful, what you're going to choose education-wise, it seems to me that you need to lay the foundation as a parent for how you're going to move forward the next step and then the next step and then the next step because otherwise you're going to be playing catch up and you're going to be working with shame and guilt because you did it wrong this time now how right. you know, and and wrong from your personal perspective right you're going to have regret yes. um, that it's yeah. so important i think to to yeah. change your own mindset first mm-hmm. i i totally agree with you one of the things we really focus on is really building parenting confidence right and confident parenting is not perfect parenting. It's believing in the moment that you are doing the best that anyone could for your child, which doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. Of course you are. But then you don't feel it with that same guilt and shame. It's like, I, I tried that. It didn't work. I'm moving on. Right. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately in our you know society, people want immediately to go to all of the external, like get the treatments and the therapies and the resources and again, no disrespect, those are very important. Um, but to be a confident player as a parent in the analysis of all of that as well is so important and so helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. So much of it is, uh, can we just, can we be aware, like what you're talking about, Amy? Yeah, to to avoid the shame and the guilt. And maybe, maybe too, there's this, there's got to be, grace. There's got to be forgiveness. Um, Obviously we're frustrated with our kids. We got to forgive our kiddo that's been struggling. And I think even deeper, we have to forgive ourselves because I think a lot of parents are in the same position I am that you go for a while, not knowing what's wrong, just feeling frustrated, especially if you have several kids and they are neurotypical. And then you have this atypical kid that it's like, what's wrong? What have I done wrong? Where am I failing? And this kid's driving me crazy. And so then when you realize, okay, there's, there is something going on neurologically and my kiddo needs my help and all those things, we've got to forgive ourselves. Yeah. Well, we deal, yeah, yeah. In, in our groups, we deal with that a lot as well. And we address it. And you know, I help to remind parents that the reason they get so stressed out, the reason they resort to punishment, the reason they do all those things is because they want the best for their child. Mm-hmm. And that's, those are the tools they have that they've been taught. Our society teaches them on television. That's how parents uh, discipline their children. Even the concept of discipline, right? That's, it's, it's for the benef- their benefit, for their best future. That's what we want. That was, the, that was the source of all of our actions. So you do have to show yourself some grace because you were doing it. You just, you were doing it for their good. You just weren't getting the success that you wanted. (laughs) Yes. And, and I honor parents though, for continuing to come back and trying something different and trying again and trying something new and never giving up on creating that optimal outcome. Yeah. So where do you think the breakdown is between uh, getting the diagnosis, the official diagnosis from the clinician and uh, seeking interventions right away, why are we missing this step? That is a great question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, I do think, well, there are, I think there are a couple of answers. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of division in the autism community, right? A lot of different perspectives that conflict with each other. And 
So everyone's in there fighting for their own perspective. And it's a lot about all of the you know, professional interventions. And it's almost like leaving the parent out of it. I mean, I actually, when, when my son was young, I had people say to me, you just be the parent. Let me take care of the speech or let me take mm. care of whatever. And I was like, just be the parent? Wow. <laughs> um, so there's a bit of that. And then also there is the big fear and overwhelm. Parents start, you know, operating from that place of fear and overwhelm. It's easy to relinquish your best judgment in favor of what other people are telling you. And then you, you know, it's very random sometimes how you, um, you know, bounce between professional perspectives, right? You believe something and then like, nah, that didn't work. And then you believe something else and you're all in and then that didn't work. But each thing takes time and it, you know, it takes you away from that genuine curiosity about your own child and what will help them the most. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it's a matter of educating clinicians as well that, hey, you're skipping a step, mm-hmm. right? Before you start making recommendations about interventions for the child, you need to say to the parent, hey, this is what you, this is what you need to do to get yeah, ready right. for this journey. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the other piece, though, is sadly, um, the system is not set up to support uh, parent, uh, parent support financially. So mm-hmm. s- the whole system hasn't recognized that it's important. Um, yeah. You know, some insurance companies pay for, you know, what they call parent training. I hate that phrase. Um, at, but it's parent training by an ABA provider of how a parent can execute the ABA techniques that the therapist is offering. Yeah. Um, but there, otherwise, there, there's not a lot of... Um, you know, support, financial support or other support in the system for parents, period. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, I do believe it's core. Again, I'm going to say it again, like I did at the beginning, that that has made the bigger difference. I mean, my, my daughter was um, with a therapist for several months and my focus was on her behaviors. And until I started, our, I was, I was so lucky the program that we're, we are with, they ultimately did offer an hour of parent counseling per week to go with my daughter's counseling. And that, that helped turn the corner because I realized I need to look at my behaviors <laughs> as a parent. And it's that mindset change. I, and I love that about your program. I have to say, when we were first researching, you know, digging around and researching you and looking at your website and digging into your free webinar, um, I told Amy, I said, what I love is that she is focused on what I can do as a parent because I can change that. I can control me instead of how your child needs to change because then I'm just trying to control my child. Okay, now we know where, we know how that works. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, but back to the whole system issue, and it's so important. And I I wish we could get together and get some movement on this generally. Um, but you know, there's really powerful research out there that shows that parenting stress undermines the efficacy of therapies, right? Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense, but there is a lot of research that proves it. So if you're going to pour millions of dollars into the therapies and not support the parents. And we know that the parenting stress reduces the efficacy of the behaviors. It's like a leaky bucket. Why don't you just take some of those funds and support the parents? It's so obvious to me, and yet it's not the way our system works. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great point. Mm -hmm. 
right. So we need to take a break and uh, let Terry read a word from our sponsor, Learning RX. And when we come back, Andrea, we want you to tell us about your specific uh, parenting program. Are you concerned about your child's reading or spelling performance? Are you worried your child's reading curriculum isn't thorough enough? Well, most learning struggles aren't the results of poor curriculum or instruction. They're typically caused by having cognitive skills that need to be strengthened. Skills like auditory processing, memory, and processing speed. Learning RX one-on-one brain training programs are designed to target and strengthen the skills that we rely on for reading, spelling, writing, and learning. Learning RX can help you identify which skills may be keeping your child from performing their best. In fact, they've worked with more than 100,000 children and adults who wanted to think and perform better. They'd like to help get your child on the path to a brighter and more confident future. Give Learning RX a call at 866 Brain01 or visit learningrx.com. That's learningrx.com. And we're back talking to Andrea Pollock, founder of Autism Parent Solutions. And Andrea, you have a parent program. So talk to us about that. I do. Um, it's a 12 week program. And And it is designed to be somewhat intensive, although I don't want that word to sound scary. But what I discovered was, you know, if you take one webinar or you take one, you know, workshop, it doesn't create transformation, right? It gives you more information. And again, those things are all useful. But if you really want to create the transformation, you have to stay with it. So what I do is the first eight weeks, I have eight modules of, um, educational material. And it's not just it's not just information. It's also we start right out of the box, applying it, creating an action plan for you and your child. Um, then and, and those are pre-recorded, which I do because parents are really busy and it enables them to watch them when they want to watch them. They can watch them 10 minutes at a time. They can watch watch them separately from their spouses if that's a relevant issue. Um, and they can watch them as many times as they want. Um, I've had parents say, well, I only watched it twice. I got to watch the next one the third time before I move on to the next module. And I'm like, okay, sounds good. Um, but the idea is one per week for eight weeks. During that eight weeks, we also have twice per week, small group Q&A sessions. And that's where the magic happens. That's where a lot of the coaching happens, where you understand how to really apply it to your situation and what's stopping you from applying things that may be helpful. You know, we talk about realizing that your child isn't intending to do it, but sometimes we resort to habits. We don't realize that, oh, you were actually assuming your child was intending to do it there, right? We can hear it in the stories. And then parents learn from each other because even if you're not um, facing the same issue, first of all, you're learning how to apply the strategies uh, to a lot of different issues, which builds your problem-solving muscles. And also sometimes parents didn't think to ask that question and something comes up and then we have a general learning. And then also even when I'm answering a specific question for a specific parent, I then generalize it for the group. So those sessions are really magical and they feel good. Um, You know, the modules also do deal with some, um, you know, personal growth issues, not just about the child, about, we talk about guilt, we talk about fear, you talk about all of those things as well. So good. 
the last four weeks are just continuation of the Q&A sessions, because I know that if you go back to the situation that created the issues too quickly, it's hard to maintain new habits. So this is an extra month to make sure that those habits are, are really cemented in. Um, I also do three one-on-one sessions with each family, um, and that enables us to address anything that might be too sensitive to address in a group, because that's fair, Right. Um, but also we set goals and we make sure that we're making progress. So it's not just like we're thinking new thoughts. It's what are we doing? Where are we? Where do we want to get to? And what are we accomplishing? Just to make sure we really have transformation. Are those one-on-one sessions throughout the 12 weeks or where are they timed? Uh, I, we usually do it early on, although not the very beginning. I like parents to get a little bit of the education under their belts before we start setting the goals. Um, but they're also as needed. I mean, sometimes a parent needs an extra one and I, you know, I support my clients, so whatever they need. Um, but yeah, so base, beginning, middle, end is roughly how it works, but really whatever they need. And is everything virtual? Everything is virtual, yes. So you're accessible all over the world? Yeah, yeah. One of my latest clients is from Australia, which is sort of random how she found me, but uh I'm so happy to be helping her. She she needs the help. That's so so she probably has to get up in the middle of the night to attend the live <laughs> Q&A sessions. That um, well, we it works out that one of them is 10 o'clock in her morning because we do it in our evening and she's, I don't know, 14 hours ahead or something. The other one is 1130 at night. So that one's a little more iffy, but right. yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it sounds amazing. Um, I want to mention before we close up, I know we need to close up. I just think this is such an amazing coincidence. So we are Learning Rx sponsored podcast, and we found out purely coincidentally just before we started this interview that your kids went through Learning Rx. Can you just like briefly <laughs> just tell a little bit about it, even how that helped your son? Yes. Um, you know, it was at the end of his homeschooling days, and I realized you know, before I wanted, before he was ready to go back to the school and he was ready socially, there were certain things that we hadn't been doing at home to specifically address some of the skills. Um, And I wanted that done in a more organized fashion. I also wanted him exposed to, you know, a more organized teaching environment, but in a way that he could handle. He needed that one-on-one environment to help him. Um, And also, you know, for the specialist to really assess where he was on those skills, right? That was an example of, I was a competent enough parent to understand that I didn't know exactly how to assess some of those specific skills. And that was a great place for which I needed an expert. Um, so he did that for about a year and it was so good for him. Um, it, yeah. And they, they loved him and it was good for his self-esteem. He was learning. You could see it. It was measurable. It was great. My daughter, who is neurotypical Ivy league graduate, um, you know, she was, I wouldn't even say she was struggling. I just felt like she might benefit from the boost that it could give her. And I offered it to her. And I said, you know, I am in this place and I see what they're doing and it makes so much sense. And it just feels like it'd be something that'd be so good for you. But of course I needed her buy-in. And she was like, I think I'd like to do that. I was like, great, let's do it. That's so great. That's just so encouraging. I love it. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So she did it like in early high school. And I just, I really did it because I thought, um, you know, it would just give her a boost um, in her skills and her confidence because she can because because the child can see their own growth and that feels really good for them. Yeah, absolutely. 
So Andrea, is there anything that you would still like to say that you haven't gotten to say today? Um, I think we covered everything. I appreciate all of your questions. I mean, just that parents deserve support. And, um, you know, it is a kind of investment, though, that you make in yourself and in your family that pays off for years and years for the rest of your child's life, really. Um, and, you know, don't think that it's not something that's important because it's you. Parents get so child-focused that they're afraid to do anything that focuses on themselves. But this is, if you're not willing to do it for yourself, do it for your child. Absolutely. That's so good. <laughs> All right. So this has been a fantastic conversation. We want to thank you, Andrea Pollock, um, for sharing this really valuable information um, for parents um, of children on the spectrum. Um, if you would like more information um, about Andrea's work, her website is autismparentsolutions.com. You can find her on social media at Autism Parent Solutions, and we will put um, those links and handles in the show notes, as well as a link to her free webinar um, and how to uh, work with her. So thank you so much for listening today. If you liked our show, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you would rather watch us, we are on YouTube. You can find us on social media on every platform at The Brainy Moms. So look, until next time, we know that you're busy moms and we're busy moms. So we're out. See ya.